Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe. On the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the fifth episode of The Edge of Every Day, here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com, or you can tune in to the replay of my debut episode where I shared about the work that I do and the inspiration for this podcast. Actually, those understandings are being woven into each of my conversations. In a nutshell, it's a show about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we're fearful, those places where we're resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and our understandings, both internally and collectively out in the world. We live in challenging times, but life isn't black versus white. It's an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So, thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it is time to introduce our guest this evening. Gail Nelson Holgate is a versatile singer-actress who is equally at home with opera, Broadway, theater, and clubs. She hails from North Carolina and Maryland. Ms. Nelson's New York credits include Broadway's The Tap Dance Kid, Applause, Hello Dolly, On the Town, Yubi, Music Music by Strauss, and Radio City Music Hall's The Ginger Rogers Special. Her touring credits include Bubbling Brown Sugar, Houston Grand Opera's Revival of Porgy and Bess, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill, performed at the Vancouver Arts Club, Hartford's Theatre Works, Barrington Stage Company, Merrimack Repertory Theatre, Provincetown Theatre, and the Atlantic Black Theatre Festival, among many others. Ms. Nelson has performed in the popular song reviews This Joint is Jumpin', Puttin' on the Ritz, Gershwin and Friends, and in concert, Billie Holiday Remembered. She performed in the musical King, Coretta Scott King, by Maya Angelou for the second inauguration of President Bill Clinton and the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Washington, D.C. Ms. Nelson's symphony engagements, too many to list here, include London, Milan's RAI TV and Radio Orchestra, the Boston Pops and the Vancouver Symphony's Gershwin CBC TV special entitled Rehearsal with Guest Conductor Mitch Miller. She was also a guest artist at the famed Carnegie Hall. Her nightclub and concert engagements, again far too many to list here, have taken her to the Catskills and the Florida circuits and as a popular guest entertainer on numerous cruise line ships. She's appeared at Atlantic City's Claridge Hotel, the Casino de Monte Carlo, the Spokane Jazz Society Orchestra, the North Carolina Jazz Ensemble, the New York Public Library Jazz Concert Series, the Sarasota Performing Artists Series, and in New York Cabaret Rooms. She's appeared in films, on TV soaps, in TV commercials, and on voiceovers. 
Ms. Nelson teaches voice privately in New York City. She was married to the late pianist arranger Danny Holgate. Welcome, Gail Nelson. <laughs> Am I alive? <laughs> I know. And that's shortened. Bio. Oh, I didn't think you were going to read the bio. This, this rich and glorious Hello. and and treasured, treasured career, just spanning the decades and spanning the genres in such a glorious way. I am so thrilled, beyond thrilled, to have you here with me today. Ms. Thanks, Sandra. Nelson, Mrs. Holgate. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we just dive in? Just dive in. Let's I'm dive 300 in. years I... old. You can ask me anything. All right. <laughs> Well, I want to start with, before before I dive into all your juicy stuff, well, this is juicy too. I want to talk about how we met. Go you ahead. and I met in 1986 mm-hmm. in Philadelphia at the Walnut Street Theater doing the 10th anniversary of Bubbling Brown Sugar. Uh, it was after... <laughs> yes! Yes! Bubbling Brown Sugar. There it is. You were the leading lady, <laughs> Irene Page, and uh, and it was directed by the gentleman who had choreographed it um, and was nominated for Tony for his choreography, yes. uh, the late, great Billy Wilson, and he directed Wonderful. and choreographed this particular version, yes. and Danny Holgate was the musical director, and it was too, there was talk of it being the, the Bubbling Brown Sugar revival on Broadway. Yeah, it probably was. It was really well done. And uh, I don't know what happened, but everybody, we moved forward. So I don't know what happened. I remember there being a lot of, and of course, no, you've all gathered this. She was Irene Page. She was the leading lady and she was spectacular playing opposite um, the late, great Billy Daniels. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there was talk about, and I remember meetings in the green room, updates on, you know, yeah. What was the state of affairs with this getting back to Broadway? I think it was because uh, probably there were a lot of set uh, tours to do. And that probably put it off because it, yeah. it started uh, another American tour music. and there were constant European tours through the years. Of course. So it stayed alive. The show did stay alive. Yeah. It did indeed. <laughs> and great friendships were formed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Well, oh, look what I found. I dug this out today, too, in honor of today. It, this is uh, a pin. I don't know if you can see it, Gail. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't that sweet? That's from Billy Daniels, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's a little lovely company gift. I, 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 I pulled so much apart. It was great. I was like, where is it? Uh, he was oh. a wonderful man. He was very kind, very gracious, very easy yeah. to work with. Yeah. And you played off so beautifully together. He was so jovial, and particularly with you know the youngsters, um, you know the the, the uh, those of us There's who were picture. who were fledglings. Ah, there he is. Look <laughs> at you, how gorgeous! And there's Greta. Uh, oh, beautiful. And here's the cast. If you can see the cast, Let's you got to move it up just yeah. here. Is that good? Up a little bit. Up a little bit. Oh, and there's Chip. Oh, I'm in the little, the, yeah. Yeah, lift it, it up. Lift it up. L- lift it up. There. Oh, and Pam Isaacs. Okay. And yeah. here you are dancing. Oh, my. Yes, indeed. I dancing away. That. Yes, that's great. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, thank you for taking it out. And I so can't wait I'll to send them a copy to you. of that. Great. Yeah, of course. So... So let's get into your juicy life. Um, <laughs> not that that wasn't juicy. I want to talk about your what your childhood was like. I know you had mentioned to me that you started taking piano lessons when you were young. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your early childhood like? Did you know immediately that you wanted to be a musician and a performer? Did you just sing when you popped out of the womb? Sort of sang when I popped out of the womb. My mother always <laughs> thought I'd be a singer. <laughs> But my father was a minister and um, sociology professor at Maryland State College, and he had a tenor voice that was glorious in the early years. Later, it went down to baritone. 
But my mother, nobody ever told my mother that she could sing. And one day I had come home from college and I was sitting at the piano in the other room and she was cooking in the kitchen and I was doing scales. And all of a sudden I heard her go higher than I was going. I went like that and I went into the kitchen and said, mom, was that you? She said, yes, dear. <laughs> I said, come in, come into the room and let's do a little vocalizing. She was a Lily Pons of her day. Wow. She was a Tora, and nobody ever knew. So there was music in my family. And um, and of course, great support, obviously. Of, oh, of course, of course. They were wonderful. I remember having braces because um, I had a gap in my tooth and my dad thought it was cute. And I said, Dad, if I'm going to sing professionally, I can't have a gap. And uh-oh, so, <laughs> uh-oh, I have a gap. <laughs> and so I, my first, I think my first audition, audition for a, a talent show was at Maryland State. And I had this taffeta dress on and glasses and bows in my two braids in the back. And I sang, I don't remember what I sang, but I won $50. And um, it, I found this picture of me standing up there looking like this. And that's the first time I had sung with glasses and the teeth and, and I just oh. let it rip. <laughs> but I do remember the first play senior year, um, I was in Rebel Without a Cause and that got my acting bug together and our cast was wonderful. And I came from an all black uh, school and I remember that the white school in, in Princess Anne, Maryland, the se- our senior year, there were four of us uh, high marked seniors and asked if we would go to their school to to graduate, to, to do the last year. And we talked amongst ourselves and we decided we wanted to stay with our friends. We've been through friends since grade school. And I was going off to Oberlin, which is totally, you know, totally integrated college. Mm. So I didn't have to integrate Princess Anne at this point. And, and all the other ones went to college as well. So we stuck together and finished it at Somerset Junior Senior High School, proud as we could be. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I have just been given the um, the uh, alert that we need to take a quick break. So okay. we will pick it up with with as you move through your um, childhood and college and and come to New York and begin your illustrious career in New York when we come <laughs> back. Okay. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. are back 
with Gail Nelson Holgate on the edge of every day. And we're going to pick it up. Um, let's, you've gone to the wonderful Oberlin College. And you also got your master's. I've forgotten where I did not write that. The New down. England Conservatory in Boston. Yeah. Beautiful. So, you know, so, so now you move, you choose to move to New York City. Well, it's funny how I made the move. Um, there was one other friend from college that graduated with me from NEC, and um, we auditioned for this choral group that uh, Arthur Whittemore and Jack Lowe with Columbia Artist Management had been playing across the country. They decided that year that they would have a choral group instead. They didn't want to play. And so they went around to the music colleges around the East Coast, and they selected us too. And I had wondered, you know, was I ready to go to New York or did I want to stay in Boston? But Boston's a school city and I had finished the schooling that I had wanted to take there. Good point. Yeah. And I got the job and so did Frank. And so um, we we toured with this group, uh, uh, 20, 26 singers with a small ensemble with a harp. And um, we did everything from classical to oratorio to theater to Beatles. Right. And that uh, was a very versatile group. They were great, great pick. And of course, I was the only one of color. Uh, a lot of that happened in my life. I was always the only one. But uh, it was a great group. We got along wonderfully. And I figured if we had we had 12 weeks on the road, if I could endure traveling in the day, performing at night, I could certainly make it to Broadway. So that was that. <laughs> and lo and behold, she did. So now I in the early 70s, folks, listen up. Not one, not two, not three, but four back to back Broadway shows. Unbelievable. On the town, applause, music, music, and hello, Dolly. That I mean, few. I mean, my, my head spins just thinking about that. Actually, it was it was um, music. Music came later, but was on the town revival with Phyllis Newman mm. and um, um, Dolly and applause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know. I just I went to all the auditions. I told all my all my audition friends go to all the auditions, whether they want black, white, green, or blue. Just go, so they see you. And so we would go to calls that weren't for us and there'd be separate calls for black kids, you know, and uh, we just go to all of them. And because I figured that in time, the casting staff would notice that there is talent there. And of course, we may we can mingle stuff. I mean, why not? Of course. This is city. Well, I, I mean, and the, the, you're, you're touching on where I wanted to go with this, um, with this, the edge of and for, for those listening in that may may not know this. The, let, let's shed some a little bit of light on the context of what was happening in those times. Um, there were it was you know post uh, 1965, so the whole Broadway sound was beginning to change, and of course what was happening in the in New York City and across the United States with um, the Voting Rights Act in 1964 and Civil Rights in 1965. Anyway, there were. A Tony Award winning musicals, The Wiz and Raisin, and there were all black revivals that were happening like Hello Dolly and Guys and Dolls. And, you know, sounds were changing, audiences were changing, casting was changing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what people wanted to hear was changing, thankfully. And so to your point, you were you were going in and you were you were pushing those boundaries and just making people sit up and take notice and rethink casting. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then then. So let's talk about Hello, Dolly. Oh, my first Broadway show. Uh, I had no idea that. That's oh, that what, was your first. That was okay. my first. Okay. Hello, Dolly was my first. Ah. And I, I my mentor uh, who heard me sing in Boston before I was finishing school said, when you come to New York, I'm in advertising. I will introduce you to all the advertising people. And that's when I started doing commercial work. So, so much, but he acted as my agent as well for a few things that came up. And so when that happened, I was already contracted to do some college concerts, classical concert, art song concerts. And, um, but he said, you got to do this. You know, I said, I know, I know. 
So I replaced the girl that later became a good friend of, of ours and, um, and had understudies to, to memorize. And, um, but when I watched during rehearsal week, I would stay and watch the show at night. And I must say, it brings my heart to, it brings my eyes to tears because on that stage was a culmination of so many beautifully talented black, all black cast, beautifully talented people that for the world waiting to see and share. And I was so moved. And one night uh, we had an act three, Pearl would have an act three where she'd have a, a guest star come up on the stage Marian Anderson came up on that stage and it was like she had a halo over her head. It was the most, I don't know how to explain it. Tears just fell from, we're standing there on the stage and she comes up on the stage. There's this halo over her head. It was just a remarkable night. Carol Channing came one night. I mean, we had a lot of celebrities and sometimes the stagehands would be be waiting for her to get off the stage, stay on the stage (laughs) because they paid extra. (laughs) Well, just just to fill in in for people, Pearl Bailey took over the show and it was completely reinvented. Yes, she and Cab. Entirely black cast, just for those people who didn't understand that, where we went with that. That, yeah, it was uh, a changeover of casts. Complete and utter yeah. redoing of it. And yeah. so it was entirely, you know, Cab Calloway. The Cab Calloway was Horace Vandergelder. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Gail. I have a story. Um, uh, one night, we, we caught, uh, there were some movies that were going on, black films that were going on. Some of the, some of the kids in the cast were in them. Uh, for shoots at certain days and I walked in one night and I ran all the way upstairs to the dressing room and got my makeup on for the opening number and I get this call Gail Nelson to the stage manager's desk Gail Nelson to the stage manager's desk and I run all the way downstairs and I go to the stage manager she said you're on for Mrs. Rose I said what (laughs) I had never done the understudy rehearsal for it I had memorized the monologue and so I said, okay. She said, but the show won't start because Pearl wants you to come in her dressing room and she wants to hear the, the monologue. I said, oh, are you kidding Lord. me? I said, okay. <laughs> so I knocked on the door. I went inside. She said, darling, let me hear the dialogue. And so I <laughs> sat there and I went over the dialogue and I got ready to leave. And she said, let me hear it again. I said, oh, Miss Bill, I got to go. I gotta, I'm going to miss the opening number. Thank you so much. And I ran out of there. She <laughs> called me back. Had time to change, did the opening number, came back to the costume room, changed into the to the old Mrs. Rose, bent over with the shawl and the cart and the straw hat and, and um, was waiting by by the stage entrance. And all of a sudden I felt a hand on my shoulder and it was Cab. And he said, you're going to do great, kid. And I'll be waiting right here when you come off the stage. Oh. Here is this legend that he he loved young people. I mean, he was always so considerate and so, you know, pulling for you. And so I walked around the back to my entrance and I did the monologue, came right off in the time. And there he was waiting for me. He said, you did great. I never forgot that. But how would I know with my path of life that over 25 years later, he would be walking me down the aisle in his home to marry Danny Holgate, the late Danny Holgate. And there's so many stories in between, but who would have thought when I look back on my path, because everyone has a different path. And, um, but I was so, so lucky. I knew his, his daughter, Chris was in the show and she and I stayed friends until she passed. Mm-hmm. And in the interim, Danny had done her club act, her sister's club act, and everybody else's club act. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so Cap knew of Danny. So after the Cotton Club film and the Blues Brothers film resurged Cab's life in, in performing, he asked Danny to be his musical director, arranger. Wow. And off they went to all the jazz festivals and symphony concerts and whatnot. While I was going off with Mitch Miller for the pop for the Symphony Pops concerts everywhere, um, and that's another story. But but to have those two people in your life and to have Cab be so gracious uh, and Nuffy his wife to have our wedding in his home because when he found out we 
we're going to get married. He said, well, you're going to be married in my house. I'm walking Gail down the aisle. (laughs) That's what he said. So that's a wonderful, wonderful time. It it was just, they were two great people. Mm. And um, Mitch was there and um, he would come to our parties and stuff like that. And, and I think the last symphony concert that Mitch and I did was probably in 1998. I was thinking we were through 2000, but I may be right. We were in Asheville for the summer festival and it was packed so many people. And um, I believe Brevard Music Festival, that was the last time we worked together, but he lived near us. And so he would call sometimes, say, let's go Chinese, because he loved Chinese food. And so we'd pick him up, we'd drive down Lower East Side to his favorite haunt, and we would laugh and talk, and he would order all this food, and we would end up taking bags of food back for the next day. And <laughs> we went to visit him one day, and um, he had Chinese food. He said, stay for lunch. <laughs> so we stayed for lunch. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, but he almost lived to be 100 years old. And um, to us, he was just a, a, a wonderful person. Yeah. And we learned so. I learned so much from from him as a conductor working with the symphonies. And um, Cab, I think, thought Danny as a son he never had because he had five beautiful daughters and and grandkids and everything. And um, they loved to dress up. And every time they would be out on the road, Cab would call Danny, let's go to dinner, meet you at the bar. (laughs) <laughs> and they come out down to the hotel bar, all tie and suit, ready to go out on the town. They were something else. Uh, that's, that's another funny story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and I know we could just go on and on and on. But for the sake of our time, which I would love and you and I will do. <laughs> I'll have you on again and we'll hear more. Okay. Um, but for the sake of those listening in right now, I, I do also want to touch on Tap Dance Kid because this is such an extraordinary experience. Oh. And so please share, you know, that experience. And okay. oh, did we just get a two minute? We just got a two minute. We're going to have to uh, do it after. We're going to have to tap it, jump into Tap Dance Kid when we come back. Okay. All right. <laughs> Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never We are back with Gail Nelson Holgate. <laughs> I'm having so much fun, my friend. <laughs> this is extraordinary. Me too. <laughs> uh, so we're going to dive in now. Tap Dance Kid. This okay. is such a phenomenal story. I had auditioned for the show uh, and um, they weren't ready to cast quite yet. 
and the bubbling brown sugar tour to Europe was set and we were going to leave the, the that next month. And uh, it was an eight month tour. And I really wanted to play the lead again <laughs> with Billy Daniels in Philly. And uh and, and, and also the band Danny picked, we were going to be able to do jazz concerts. Oh. And so that was exciting that all my my arrangements were ready to be played. And, um, and I spoke German. We were going to be in the provinces of England for one month and the other seven throughout Germany. And um, that was very exciting. And so we left. And while we were gone, they finally decided to finish the casting and go into a show into a theater and so when we came back at the end of the year it had just opened and the Tonys had just finished and um, they wanted me to stand by for her when I came back and so I had two weeks of rehearsal and I was ready to go and there was some tapping in there. I wish there had been more. If I, if it had turned out the other way, I probably would have had more dance with my brother and my father in the show, Hinton. And um, so I was going to meet uh, Hattie and her husband had done the music for the show, Harold Wheeler, and he and Danny had been colleagues through the years. But Hattie and I had never had an opportunity to get together and, and we weren't in the same theater circle. And I was traveling so much and she was pretty much based there. And so we decided we would meet for dinner one Saturday in between shows. And my apartment was only two blocks away. So I didn't have to stay there. I stand by in my contract. I could be anywhere that was a 10 minute ride to the theater. And um, so I walked in with my heels and handbag and looking like a mother. And um, the, <laughs> the stage manager was at the backstage door leaning out saying, you're on. I said, what? <laughs> he said, come on, I'm taking you up in the elevator now. And so we did that. We walked around the back, back of the, the stage and the set. And I walked in just in time to do the middle of the second act after her solo and uh, finished the show. And I was on for two years. I was only out two days when I had a throat problem the whole two years, but I never had time to make a transition. And, um, and it just happened and I was ready. You had to be ready. So I was long off script and, and staging, we staged when we had the staging rehearsals, uh, we had nothing but the bare table and chairs, none of the, the things that you have to move around in the kitchen and whatnot. And, um, but it happened and I finished that show, that matinee, I went on that night um, and went on Sunday and I had a day to breathe for a second and then the year started right. and it affected, I didn't have time to be affected in any other way than to do the show. And the kids were great. The cast was wonderful. Um, it was the most enjoyable cast relationship I have ever had for a whole two-year period. Oh, and the kids would come to the dressing room to see me all the time. Little Savion, little Martine Allard, and, oh. and, <laughs> and, um, and, great, and uh, Jimmy Tate, all the little ones who later sprouted and had the voices dropped and they had to leave. I had five little boys. I had two daughters, I had three husbands, and um, two brothers in the two years. Wow. And you were able but, to, you were able to uh, it was, negotiate. Oh, yeah. That was the other good thing. Uh, my agent was wonderful. And I said, okay, we're in a situation here. Uh, I'm standing by, but I'm going on. Um we need to talk. And so we talked, I told them what I would like to have and when and what and everything. And so then we went to the management. I said, do you want me to stay on? Do you want me to leave? Do you want me to keep it as a standby? No, no, no. We want you to take over the role. I said, okay, thank you. And I said, also the tap, the tap dance kid, uh, original, uh, recording had not been done yet. And in my contract, I said, whenever it is done, I will be the mother. And two months later, they did the recording. And I am so proud, so proud. And Harold's music was wonderful. It was a joy to sing. The solo that he had for the mother was just beautiful. Oh. 
and we had duets with my daughter and with the kids. And, and we used to sit on the bed in the second act when uh, Sam Wright, bless his heart, was my husband. Um, and we would, Martine and I would sit there on the bed just fighting the tears because his, his scenario was just so beautifully done. And all we could do was be there looking up at him in the, in the middle of it all. And that was a precious, precious moment. He was wonderful. Um, and two years went by and I've stayed in touch with uh, a few. Martine is my daughter, is still my daughter. She calls me Mama Aww. Bear. And Savion did a revival uh, in New Jersey at uh, the center, art center there of Tap Dance Kid. And he did a brilliant job. Mm. And the kids were wonderful in the show. And he had Martine and I come out to speak with the kids and uh, and to come out for the opening of the show. And I was so proud of him. He's become quite a man and so talented. So but it was just a joy to, to pass the time and to see how life had grown for so many people and how their lives had moved forward and upward. And, um, and it's the passion. You have to have the passion in this business to stay. In between engagements, we say when we're out of a job from one show to another, we always say we're in between engagements. We don't right. say we're out of work. We right. don't because we know something's coming later. And uh, you keep taking the lessons, you keep taking the classes. And, and just because you're in a show, now. when it closes, doesn't mean you sit and wait. And oh. you go to the auditions. You just keep going. Well, this is a great, this is a glorious seg into reinvention. Not only do you just keep going, you reinvent when you need to. Yeah. That's another edge. Yeah. That we, we can, that all of us have had to go through. Everyone needs to go through. But particularly, I think, people in, in entertainment. Um, and you touched on this in our last segment, um, the, the move into clubs. And I mean, I know that you've done concert work and, you know, every it's not so cut and dried. It's flowed more. But I but but at, at some point, you know, you 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 are doing more concert work and more one woman show type things like Lady mm -hmm. Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. That's a fantastic oh. story. And you got to yeah. work you, you with Danny on that as well. Why don't we dive into that? And okay. first, let me let me give a, a little intro on it, because I love this. So <laughs> in 1995, Gail Nelson was the first person to perform at a brand new theater company, the Barrington Stage Company. Gail was the first person to perform with that. And she did um, Billie Holiday, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill, a solo mm. musical play about Billie Holiday's final days. And she mm. did that with her husband, Danny Holgate. So tell the story about that. Now you were friends with Julianne Boyd through Julie Yubi. had done Yubi with right. Danny she can, she was and the, Billy. And, she um, had the concept of it with, with Danny, yes. With Billy Worked with and, Danny. And yeah. Danny, all the arrangements and stuff. So we had known her and, and her husband was a dentist. We used to, we used to go to, the, to with to his oh. office. But <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Oh, but on gosh. the classical side, actually the first time uh Lady Day was done after New York was at Hartford's Theater Works with Ron Rob Ruggiero yes. as the director. And he's now the artistic everything there. He's marvelous. Yes. <laughs> and he, he called Lainey Robertson, who had written the show, and asked before he did an open call if there was somebody that Lainey would suggest. And Lainey said, well, what Danny did the original show. He did the music, played Jimmy Powers. I mean, and his wife is a singer, actor. Maybe you can get the two of them to work together. And so um, he called he called us and Danny looked at me and said, you can't play Billy. I said, Danny, I'm an actor. Actor. Said, you can't cut. You can't cut. <laughs> cut. Oh my God, there's an edge. I said, I'm a preacher's daughter. Mate? I'm a preacher's daughter, but I can, I can act. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. I took his neck. I said, you're going to let me do it. <laughs> and he said, okay, okay, okay. And so we really opened first at Hartford's Theater Works and, and, and we went back a second time. It was just incredible there, the response. And Rob was so happy that they were able to um, add uh, to the theater and, and upgrade and everything. And, and we went back and uh, Julie had seen the show. And so that's why she wanted us to open her first 
theater with Lady Day. And I, Tom and I saw it. My husband and I drove and saw it in Massachusetts. And you were absolutely spectacular, both of you. Thank you. The Paul Brown was the bass player uh, for a lot of our gigs in Connecticut, but the longstanding bassist was David Jackson. He's also left us, but he was incredible. He went with us everywhere. He did all our jazz concerts and stuff as well outside of Lady Day. But I had to mention that because they both were marvelous. And um, and we had such a joy, such a knit group, the three of us. And anytime we had a date, they were both willing to go. And they were ready. And um, I knew every community dog wherever I played because we would they would loan one to us and I would bond with the dog in my lap uh, either going over the lyrics or putting on makeup and they'd be looking (laughs) (laughs) and the second half of the show I would come out with the dog but we the first place we were were at this uh I don't know what it was We're, we're the first place we worked for Julie and there was a big dog and I couldn't lift it I, I tried to lift it, which was funny in the show. And I said, oh, darling, you're too, you're too heavy now. And I put it in, just had the leash. But <laughs> most of the dogs I could carry. And um, I have a picture of every dog that we <laughs> worked with in our backstage pictures. I don't know why I did that, but it was they were so funny. And, and some of them were really wonderful little actors. And, <laughs> and even had the had Danny and David or Paul holding the dogs, petting them after the show or in the in, in, oh intermission my, and whatnot. Did the grew on us so much. The fourth actor. <laughs> uh, I love it. But we went everywhere, uh, um, which was which was quite wonderful. They were trying to get it into New York, but the producers wanted a, a name, a big name, to do it, so it never really came back. But on the road, every regional theater all across the country has had a Lady Day at Emerson's Barn Grill with quite a few wonderful, wonderfully talented ladies. Oh, totally. And didn't you do the first recording of it? Yes, they didn't get to do a recording of it on in New York. Um, And so we went to the studio and we have the original cast album and um, my box is here, you know, at the office. And um, there were some on what's the. Amazon, not was it Am- Amazon? Oh, one of the baby? ones that hmm? CD baby. One of the places where you buy t- CDs and stuff. I forget now. And um, I remember somebody saying, "I got the last one," but then I don't know what happened, and uh, I don't think there are any on there. I'll have to see if it, anybody wants one. But um, but we well, still I have a lot one. of them. <laughs> I want one. And on that note, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about some some beloved projects that seemed off to, a little bit off the beaten track for Gail. Okay. We come back. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. 
Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never rains, but it falls on the edge of every day. And we are back with Gail Nelson Holgate, and we're going to jump into. Um, I want to make sure that we have plenty of time to talk about the legacy. So we'll just touch on uh, the affiliate artists program. I want to hear a bit. Uh, I want you to share a oh. bit about about that. I know that you loved that that work. Share about what that was for yeah. you. That experience was with our audience. Um, I think it was after. Uh, well, it was in the latter part of the seventies. Um, affiliate Artists Incorporated was an organization from New York which uh, put together entertainers with city projects across the country. And uh, whether you were an actor, a musician, a dancer, uh, whatever, the performing arts, you were selected to be a part of a city's seven-week program. Mm. You had a person there to handle all of your schedule. And you would, it was an outreach of music to the community with at the end of the term, a big concert for the, from the city, for the city people, for everyone involved. And um, I was lucky enough to, to get four contracts. I don't, I think I'm one of the few who did four contracts in five years and I just loved it. And they knew that I loved it. And the response was so, so favorable that um, it was just a joy. It was hard work. Um, the first place was Miles College in Birmingham, Alabama, mm. and um, the second was Denver Center Performing Arts in Denver, Colorado. Oh, that was the third. The second was Monroe, Louisiana Arts Council, and the last one was Spokane, Washington um, um, Arts. And the first year was new for me, and uh, we did an informants, an informal performance. And we were able to, to, whatever we did in between, we would have a question answer period with the audiences and uh, then end up with whatever our, our plan was, whether we were a singer or a dance piece or instrumental piece or whatever, or a pianist playing. And um, mine was the versatile singer because I could sing the various styles of music (laughs) almost almost but having the classical background I could incorporate opera and folk music classical art song Mm. I spoke German and uh, of course spirituals and so my lady or gentleman I've had ladies I don't want to call them secretaries they were my the people who planned everything and I would have maybe three or four informances a day. And it could be at a school, a church, a community center, a college, a university, uh, uh, the Elks Club or the AKAs or uh, prisons, hospitals, mm-hmm. everywhere to just outreach to everyone that we possibly could. And I got to talk to so many people. I love being with people. And I think that made it easy for me. And I uh, memorized my music and um, what I would talk about, how to set up the songs and stuff so they would understand what was going on, especially with the opera arias and whatnot. Mm. And I tell stories about how it was as a being a performer mm. and growing up into the business and dealing with the things that happened in our life um, in the business and some personal things as well. But they always it makes everybody feel so comfortable because you're sharing you. And um, I went to a prison once. (laughs) No, many times we had prison concert. The drummer was a murderer and um, he read the music pretty well. (laughs) But I remember at the end of the term and after my concert and stuff, I got letters and my lady would send me the letters and I would read some of the letters from various organizations and people responding to the music and he said I'm getting out and I'd love to come to New York to see you oh my goodness <laughs> and so I had to write back I'm so happy you have re- been rebuilt re- 
rehabilitated and that you're feel safe and comfortable and you're ready to come out into the world. I said, but unfortunately, I'm going to be in Europe for two years, but I wish you all the very best. <laughs> Sincerely, you Gail. Are, you are the best. <laughs> Sincerely, Gail. I said, whoa. <laughs> you are the best. Well, what jumps out at me so much um, in our conversations, of course, knowing you and knowing how you are, how you were with me and our cast in those days, but Hearing this story reminds me of of how, what a, a sense of service that you have to those around you, that you are really, uh, you've called yourself a communicator, but you are a giver. You are a, you are in service. You use your art, you combine your art with a sense of service that is so breathtaking to behold. I hadn't thought about it that way. I just do what. They do, but it comes naturally. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's uh, beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. I do want to jump in, make sure mm -hmm. that we have enough time on this. Um, We've been talking about your rich and multifaceted career. And you have been invited in to, in 2019, um, Actors Fund, in partnership with the Research Center for Arts and Culture, launched a new group called a new program called Performing Arts Legacy Program that reaches out to a small number of artists and asks them to create to document and and create their legacy online for people to be a part to be able to review and and learn from and recently Gail was chosen as one of Eight, I believe you said only eight people to to document her illustrious career, (laughs) and she has been immersed in all. So, please tell us about that. Um, some months ago, uh, they uh, called. I, I was recommended, and um, by a friend, and she said, "I think they're going to be calling you soon." I said, "Oh." So it is the artist, the uh, Actors Fund Performing Art, Performing Legacy Project. Mm. And each year they select eight people, various parts of the business, to be a part of this wonderful gathering of material of our lives. And um, so I, how could I not say yes? I wasn't thinking about me. Um, Danny had been accepted into the National African American Culture and Histor- History Historical Museum in Washington, D.C., and I had been trying to get that together because <laughs> wow. he passed in 2017. And um, in 2018, um, I met with the curator and in Washington, and I took a packet of stuff of, of his, but of course I'm in there because as we started working together, we worked together. I mean, we just performed a lot together. And so there's a lot. And she looked at me and she said, of all the 18 curators, sorry to rush through this, but I had to put this in. Uh, Of all the 18 curators, she was the only one that knew me, had heard me sing in Denver when I had my other uh, affiliate artist program and back for a summer package. And she was in the children's chorus. And she said, you inspired me to go into music. I said, you have got to be kidding me. Oh, Gail. And so don't make me cry. And so um, she said, of course, we want Danny to be recognized here. And so they call it the Danny Holgate wish list, which I have to finish. But then the art, the uh, equity fund thing came in in between all of this and COVID and everything and so we are should be finished by December with the legacy uh project Mm -hmm. and then you will be able to go into the art our equity fund performing arts legacy website and list my name and it'll bring up my musical career and so that's what we're trying to do now. I've been pulling out pictures and programs. I've saved everything. 
and through the years. And I mean, we're talking about all years. All of this is going <laughs> to be scanned. You're writing blogs, your writing you know, blogs, pictures, yes, yes, your, pictures. your feelings on all this. Every aspect yes. of your career yes. is going to be documented. Here was, here was the program from Tap Dance Kid, by the way. Oh, I love it. Oh but anyway, God. so um, the uh, that's what I've been doing back and forth, trying to get all this together. And um and hopefully we'll be finished by the 13th of December. And, and we will um, all be able to, to. And after in the new year, everyone who wants to look up, I, I will have some music in there and um, um, your recording stuff like everything. that as well. You know, everything uh, recordings, personal thoughts, shows, oh, pictures. I, I wanted to tell you, um, I in the beginning have been through, have had, can't talk. <laughs> so excited have had a uh, commercial life the agent that i had pushed me during this period of time to get a uh, audition tape together and i couldn't i couldn't deal with it and so he, he kept pushing him kept pushing and so i finally got one done for him when he called me for an audition they said they want to hear you i had worked with them before the company i am now running on me tv and i think nbc uh colonial pen 995 plan and i'm a mom talking to my son trying to get him to keep to, to take care of his family it's a lot of dialogue it's fantastic and i said i don't believe i got this at another time when i had to uh read the uh ecclesiastes thing for a good friend mickey grant passed away last month and and i was asked to speak uh, for her memorial and it was all the same weekend Oh, so wow. Friday I was in Philly shooting and then Saturday I had to get the piece ready. And then Sunday was beautiful Memorial for Mickey Grant. I will miss her forever. Well, and she cool and Danny were very close friends. So I love it. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to interrupt you because we're at the end and I want to get in already. Uh, yeah, yes. And I want to <laughs> make sure that we get our closing in. So the uh, website um, that you can catch all of Gail's legacy is the performing arts legacy dot org and you can find me at sandrabargeman.com you can purchase um this gail cd at uh cd oh. baby i've i've actually seen it on amazon.com as well oh you have to tell me so i'll know yeah. where to send them <laughs> and remember everyone you are always at the edge of the miraculous i want to thank you gail nelson from the bottom of my heart for being on my show. I adore you. Your talent is immense. And thank you for sharing it with all of our audience this evening. My pleasure. My pleasure. Till next time, everyone. Take good care. <laughs> this is our last dance. This is our last dance. This is our You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 